Welcome back to today's podcast, Doing Tech Better in Government. I'm Brian Fox, and in this series, you'll be hearing from different technologists and technology leaders in government about their efforts to modernize digital capabilities. Together, we will learn about the technology, the processes, and cultural changes they've adopted to rapidly improve their digital services and hear about their experience leading this change in government. All right. Hello. Thank you all for joining us in today's Doing Tech Better in Government podcast. I'm really glad to have Matthew McAllister with us today. He's actually sporting a wonderful uh, sweatshirt highlighting the brand. He's uh, Matthew is from the Colorado Digital Service. And so just a wonderful pleasure to have you on board, sir. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your organization, and your role there? Yeah, Brian, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to see you again and to be part of the podcast here. My background, I've been in different levels of government for my whole career. I started out in the Obama administration and worked in uh, several different agencies and roles there, finishing up in the office of the U.S. Chief Technology Officer uh, when Megan Smith had that role and had the privilege of serving under her uh, for the two and a half years, kind of closing out the Obama administration. I spent two years at the city and county of Denver working on their Smart Cities grant. That was really focused on a lot of research and development projects in the smart city space for how vehicles would interact with uh, physical infrastructure in cities. So that was a really cool project. And then helped to get the Colorado Digital Service started three years ago when Governor Polis came into office. And as a tech entrepreneur by background himself, he was really interested in recruiting technologists into the state who may otherwise not be interested. He was also around as a member of Congress during the Obama years uh, when healthcare.gov occurred and all the various digital response efforts happened with that. So he saw 18F form, he saw the U.S. Digital Service form while he was in Congress. And so then once he moved into the governorship, he really wanted to apply a lot of what happened and worked at a federal level inside a state team. So Colorado Digital Service was created uh, at the end of 2019. We're now 17 people strong, the director of the team. And we have, yeah, been able to grow a fair bit over the last year in particular and really take a lot of lessons learned from our first couple of years in helping the state respond to COVID and apply that to other areas of product management and applying best practices in digital government in Colorado. So really excited about what the team's been up to. And we're actually still growing and hiring a couple of more folks. So for folks who are listening and interested in maybe our great state, I will put in a couple of plugs maybe if I get the opportunity throughout this um, episode to talk about that as well. Absolutely, Matthew. And it's such a critical role, right? Uh, I had spent uh, time supporting the federal government uh, with digital modernization, and really just as a federal employee for a number of years. And it wasn't until I was at 18F and working alongside Robin Carnahan at hearing her perspective on things, the importance of uh, the activities, federal federal level activities, so critical, but so critical at the state level too. So, because that's where most people are, most citizens are, are touching those services at the, the, the state and local level. Absolutely. Um, but with the Colorado Digital Service, supporting citizens. How are you all doing that? Is that through helping the existing product teams as kind of digital consultants, or is it developing improved services for those agencies, or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, it's it's primarily the former, where we're um, sort of like an in-house consultancy um, in a lot of respects. So our team's mandate, our mission is to mature state agencies and how they approach technology. Um, and so that can look at how they're buying technology, how they're building it, how they're maybe borrowing it, 
from other open source places or the federal government, but the overall strategic approach for leveraging technology to deliver on that state agency's mission is what we're trying to improve and make folks a little bit more comfortable with it. Because a lot of times, as you know, you're familiar with from the federal space, people are scarred by past failures and experiences of when this stuff has gone wrong and it's gone wrong and they've been a part of it and they see it coming and it's like watching a slow motion car wreck or something and it's like, oh, this is so painful. And when I had the pleasure of working with Megan as she was USCTO, she had this expression of digital service teams are like tandem bicycles, where when you're first learning to ride a bicycle, it can seem scary. You're gonna fall off, it's going really fast. You're not really getting your balance on this thing. But if you're on a tandem bicycle and you've got someone who's done it before and they're like, oh, hop on, it's not that scary. That's a great way to learn how to ride a bike. And so if a digital service team is like that entry point for a state agency that maybe has gone through failed procurements or failed project in the past, and then they have a team like ours that you know brings a cross-functional skill set. We've got engineers and designers and product people and procurement people on the team. And now we're approaching a state agency and saying, hey, we know we have a bunch of these crazy ideas about how to do something a little differently, but we're going to be there with you. And you can hop on the bike with us. It's not going to be that scary. Aaron Snow, who you know was the executive of the Canadian Digital Service, the other CDS, he talks about digital service teams being risk absorbers. And I feel like that's the other part of that role. So you're hopping on this bike with us. You haven't done that kind of mode of transportation before. Also, if we fall, like we're falling with you, we're right there. And that I think also really helps quell fears and have folks take a risk and take a chance on a different way of operating. I love that analogy. I think I'm going to use it. The full suspension tandem bicycle. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, I mean, to answer your question directly. Yeah. Like, so it's consultancy in the part of like, yeah, we're preaching some stuff and we have some materials that we want to talk through. But we're going into the delivery phase too. It's not just like, here's the discovery sprint that says, here's how you should approach XYZ product strategy. It's that plus now we're on for the ride. Like we're going to help with the procurement. We're going to do the vendor bake-off with you. And now we're starting to get into deployment. So it's um, kind of full life cycle because I think that's the only way that people really build up a different pattern and way of working. And I think trainings are great and they have a place. And a lot of people should go to various trainings for agile or for product management or human-centered design. Complementing that with lived experience and doing a project that way with a team that operates in that way, I think is the most That's our current theory of change. That's how we're going to impact the organization that we operate within is the do with approach. That's a wonderful way forward. Any examples of success you'd like to highlight? Yeah, there's a a couple. I alluded to the fact that our team kind of came of age during COVID and that was a real trial moment for us because the state, you know, every state was going through a crisis moment. And we're looking at technology as one of the tools in the toolbox for public health response. And so folks might remember early on, like our first cases in Colorado were tourists at ski resorts. And we have 64 counties in Colorado. And so, of course, someone who's out skiing in the mountains is going to move from one county to another. And we had no system to actually do effective contact tracing. And we had 64 separate systems that all did it. And a lot of them are whiteboards and spreadsheets, you know, so that that's the approach when you're early days of pandemic. And of course, emergency rules are in place. People can do immediate contracting with any solution that happens to walk by, which is of course the temptation if you're a public health department facing this kind of crisis. And so that public health team really took a chance on us when they got into to us. So they knew that this was a problem. They knew that these counties were going to go off and either buy their own solutions or the state was just going to figure out what another state had done. And that was happening a lot. States were spending, yeah, I mean, there's headlines at the time of states just signing contracts, sight unseen for $20, $30 million systems, 
because they're desperate to get the virus under control. It makes sense. We came along and had a pretty contrarian view of we don't need to do that. Um, and I know it doesn't feel like we have time, but if these solutions are ready today, how about we ask for them today? We can pay you know a few thousand bucks for licenses and we'll test it out and then we can scale up from there. Like let's buy three solutions today, test them out and then pick. You know, it's like an 11 p.m. meeting when that conversation's happening about a pretty big strategic pivot for the state compared to what every other state was doing at that moment of crisis. And the public health officials took the chance and they're like, yeah, the approach we're going down scares us too. And what you say makes sense. It has never been done before. We're kind of risking our jobs here if we're gonna like follow you on this path, if, if this goes wrong, but let's do it. And so we became that risk absorbing team for a moment there and people put a lot of trust in, in that moment as well. Um, eight weeks later, we had picked a vendor, saved the state $15 million and had working software that was rolling out uh, to every single county and completed the rollout three months later um, across all 64 counties. And it's because we had working software that we did screen shares with on the county officials who were in the middle of the response. They gave us the feedback live. We gave that feedback to vendors. We figured out which ones could respond effectively in time. Um, and, and yeah, and the rest was kind of history there. Like it was, a, it was a really effective way of moving fast and still getting good results uh, and applying a lot of the best practices that many folks in this community you know, would, would hope to see. The reason that one's a particular success though is it ties back to our mandate of, did that change have a lasting impact? Like we can point to a single project and of course it was really important as part of pandemic response. The really exciting thing about that is one of our colleagues on the public health side, Kristen Laura, was the one who really took that chance on us and helped us take this new approach. Here we are three years later, and she has a new role leading up all of the tech efforts for our brand new behavioral health administration in the state. And that's pretty wonderful because now we have, you know, people, of course, stay in the state for a long time. They have long careers here. She's seen a different approach and now in her new role in this brand new agency focused on mental health and substance abuse is able to say, we're gonna approach technology differently to succeed at this mission that we've been given. And so her immediate hires are product managers, human-centered designers, a technical lead, procurement and budgeting person. All of it is from the COVID response days when she was in public health, working with our team and now working with our team three years later and being like, absolutely, I would have these skill sets on my team. Why would I not? I saw it work. And for us, that's now like one of those moments where you're like, wow, this is actually working. Like, yeah, we've influenced enough people where that flywheel's beginning and we're seeing it now in this agency and this agency and this agency. And that part just uh, gets me really excited for how the state's thinking about these concepts and, um, and, and building them into how we work as a state. That is a wonderful story. And it's, it is interesting to hear how she went from essentially being willing to drink the Kool-Aid, try something new, and is now mixing her own and, right. and moving away from project management more towards product management and uh, yeah. thinking about things in a, in a very different way. That is really amazing. Next step is we just got to get her to speak at Code for America and talk about the whole experience. So that'll Absolutely. come later. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she can come and speak here. That would be, that would be awesome. A, she would be great. We've, we've done a few of these where we'll, we'll do a fireside chat with a colleague in state government who's worked with us and had a perspective change after that experience about how we should approach the work as a state. And she's been one of those folks that we've done that with before. And it's been really enlightening for me to hear her framing on like what the impact was of working with different folks on our team. Just like there's a bunch of little examples too, but she came to us from you know this public health space 
and the language difference between that and like the civic tech digital speak was just like enough, uh, you know, like enough of a shift where it took a while for us to figure out, how are we talking about retros? You all call them hot washes. Okay, like that could be the same. Let's figure out if that can actually be the same thing. And we're just describing them differently. Absolutely. That can be such an interesting thing to work through. It's like tradecraft culture um, coming out of the geographic or geospatial realm, like product means a thing. And people are typically talking about a map product um, something coming out of a system, whereas on the digital side, folks are really focused on or, or interpret that as some web app or, or some, some pipeline that's creating product, uh, geospatial products. What did you do to facilitate that cultural norming as either with, with the Colorado, your partners within the, the Colorado health area or, or other areas? I'm sure there's other, other folks you're working with and they have their own cultural sense. Yeah, the the how we influence culture, set our own culture, share that with others is something that we've reflected on and talked about a lot as a team. Because um, I think we take a lot of pride in the CDS, the digital service team culture that we have, which is pretty, you know, open, honest, transparent, a lot of vulnerability when folks are struggling, an ability to articulate and talk about challenges in, I think, a pretty productive way. That can be hard on, I think, in spaces where a project is not going well. So I think there's a lot of, you know, culture that gets tied up in the overall ethos of, are we succeeding or are we failing? And when you come into either of those spaces, you're, I think, employing different tactics. One quick thing I'm reminded of is our Department of Human Services. They have this informal expression that they refer to a lot where it's uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, which I just love because the number of meetings that you can be in where folks are drawing boxes on a screen and it feels productive because we're drawing boxes on screens compared to talking about how's the team doing? And do we have the right mix of people on the team? And does the team feel empowered to make decisions? Sometimes the latter is much more important than drawing the boxes and the org charts and the process diagrams, but we really feel productive when we do, you know, the whiteboarding stuff. And it's a little squishier to do the former. So I think the the most effective things that we've done are be really intentional about retros. So when we're doing a retro, we can model the behavior. Like it, it might feel a little I don't know, canned or performative, but we can script the first part of a retro. So end of the sprint, we're doing a retro. I can go first and say, hey, y'all, I really feel like I dropped the ball on this thing on Wednesday. That was my bad. And demonstrate that of owning a mistake. Or I can script it where one of our teammates calls out another teammate and says, hey, I really didn't appreciate when X happened. And that felt like it hurt our project on this thing. And everyone else is, you know, around the room who maybe has never experienced this before in the state are looking at each other like they're they're calling each other out and it's really respectful and we're learning from it. And then the person's committing to doing better next week and no one feels threatened. And it doesn't seem like anyone's, you know, getting written up for this. Right. This is a weird meeting. And that'll be the reaction the first two times. And then the third time it's like, yeah, okay. I I'd like to own those change here too. And someone starts speaking up and you're like, well, this just got really interesting now. <laughs> um, so I, I think demonstrating and going first, same thing of like, you know, the whole tandem bicycle and absorbing risk. If we can demonstrate the vulnerability and the culture that we would want to see on, you know, a product team that feels empowered to make decisions that goes a really long way. And it influences every partner organization that we work with and all of our agency colleagues are on those same calls with us. And they see that way of operating and hopefully feel the benefits of it. So 
that's that's our current approach on it. I'm sure there's a lot of things that we could be learning about and, and doing more effectively. I think changing culture is super challenging. And a lot of times um, existing and entrenched cultures can fight back against change. And there's antibodies that come out and attack a new pattern and a new way of working. So I think those are really challenging to, to work with as well. Sounds like a sound tactic or maybe strategy to help yeah. eat, eat strategy for lunch. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Absolutely. So I, I don't know if I'm allowed to flip the question, but if you've if you've seen other tactics, I'd be curious for what those have been too. Oh boy, you're putting me on the spot now. I, I think some sessions that are moderated to help folks deal with conflict. Also just some training around effective meetings at times so that are more equitable. And that can not always be present in an organizational culture where it's very hierarchical or whoever is leading is talking the most. So I think in some cases, training and moderation can help, but I, I think you're absolutely right. If, if you've got a group that's willing to coach and mentor, showing the way is, is really powerful. And folks over time, it, it doesn't happen that, I, you, you said it really well that, it's typically not going to happen in that first session, but the third or by the fifth one, folks start opening up a bit and things start changing for the better. There's just some thoughts on that, but absolutely. Sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity to help culturally, but then also deliver on technology. One question I had, because you all are doing something so revolutionary. I think New York has a digital service and California does. So between the three... Are there any other states between the three that have a digital service now? Yeah, New Jersey has an Office of Innovation that's essentially a digital service team, and it's a partnership okay. with academia and the state at the same time. So that's another one. The state of Georgia has a team that's pretty embedded with their overall IT department. They have kind of a relationship with them similar to us. We report into our governor's office and our OIT CIO uh, team as well. There's a couple of city teams too. Baltimore just launched a team. New York City has a team. Philadelphia has a team. Uh, the state of Connecticut, I believe, has a team, but it's. It, I think it's been a little bit smaller. I'm trying to think if I'm missing any. I, would, I feel like I would be remiss if I if I accidentally dropped anyone out. Yeah. So a couple of different city efforts. The city of San Francisco with you know Sid, of course, and then there's partners internationally. I think in the space too, they've been incredibly collaborative with us. I alluded to the Canadian Digital Service, but there's also a team yep. in Nova Scotia, a city team in Boston. Yeah, the team. The in British the UK. government has one as well, I believe. Right, the UK. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the UK is widely credited as really starting the whole effort of having dedicated digital teams mm -hmm. and having them embedded really in an effective way to, to push change inside bureaucracy. So they, I think, get a lot of credit as a founding model. Uh, what has been an enabler for you all, though? Because you, Colorado Digital Service was one of the first. What was a critical enabler? You mentioned earlier Governor Polis being terrifically yep. supportive and probably seeing the need for the, the service. Anything else that's helped you along the way? Because standing something Standing up something new, there's a lot of learning. There's, yeah. it, it's never easy, it, even though it's terrifically needed. What, what's helped you all? Yeah, I wrote a blog post on this, on, on how we pitch the digital service. And embedded in that is a little bit of like, here's how the pitch is different than reality. And there is a little bit of that. Like, I think this is true of, you know, a startup doing a pitch, of a candidate pitching themselves for office is you're, you're painting an envisioned future, of course, when you're doing a pitch. And then once you're actually in office or get the funding and get started, 
things start to be a little bit harder to implement. I think a lot of digital service teams, us included, are pitched on a premise of bad things are happening for a lot of IT projects in government. See healthcare.gov. No one wants that to happen on their watch. To prevent that from happening on your watch, you need a team of people and you need a talent pipeline of folks that are constantly coming into state government who would otherwise not consider it. And that part's really an important disclaimer because of course we have technologists in government already. A lot of times though, we are missing human-centered designers, we're missing product managers, and we're missing technical leads who have been responsible for delivering a product versus you know, a back-end service. So we're missing this group of humans usually in the org chart we, and we need to get access to them. And the theory, of course, is if you have access to them, then you'll prevent bad outcomes happening with product launches. Really, really hard to do if you have a state that has an employee base of 35,000 people and you just hired a seven-person team that is premised on the idea of we will stop bad things from happening. So, so the, the, the commitment there or the pitch can be different than the reality of like, okay, how do you prioritize a single product team then to go around and try to help out? And of course, to really effectively do change, it takes a longer term commitment, like to really change behaviors. In COVID, we were on that effort for a year, effectively. So our models evolved over time. And I don't, I don't have better advice for a new team that would be starting. So if another state came to me, I would still say pitch the fact that a lot of projects fail and your team can reduce that number because I think it's a really compelling pitch. There's truth to it. And I think it gets people to pay attention to the concept and what problem they're trying to solve. So I don't change anything about the pitch. The details of how you get to that envisioned future, I think, get more nuanced. And for us, our model has evolved over the last year in particular, where instead of just being a small team that moves around based on the governor's priorities, we are copying the U.S. Digital Service where we have this hub team and we have spokes. And the spokes can stay in an agency for longer. So we have a spoke focused on behavioral health I alluded to earlier, and we have another spoke right now focused on universal preschool. And they can stay there for longer because we are accepting funds from those different agencies to help out with those programs. And the hub team can keep moving around the state. But I think it does a better job of us fulfilling our mandate of maturing state agencies' approach to using tech because we're going to be side by side with them for a much longer period of time. And so all of those like behaviors, patterns, ways of working, we have a lot longer to uh, set those in place and ideally empower teams to operate in a different way, which I'm really excited about. And then the hub team, of course, can continue to be a blend of firefighting, discovery work, you know, figuring out maybe future projects that need a little bit longer to work on as well. So I think that's been a really successful evolution of the model for us and something I've seen a couple of peers in other states do as well. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Thank you for sharing that, Matthew. What are some challenges that you all face, you know, as you continue to help Colorado modernize their digital services and improve things for the state, whether it's the backend services that help government operate or anything that the, the public and citizens are touching? Yeah, I think the the challenges that we face are, I think they're, they're pretty common across a lot of high priority projects. It's been a debate of ours. Like, I think, I think sometimes it's easier to create change in a higher stress environment where a lot of people are trying to figure out how to get something right. And in other cases, that environment can cause people to revert to what they know. So I think we've seen this in a couple of different projects where we've tried to influence things. In some cases, coming in as firefighters and saying, we're here to help, we're rolling up our sleeves and we're getting into it can have a phenomenal effect. And everyone's like, oh, this is, you know, this really created a lot of relief. This helped a lot. We have clear decision-making. We know how to do you know, some sprint planning. We're you know, improving our processes every couple of weeks here and, and delivering stuff. 
in other cases, it's, you know, we'll go that way a little bit. And then it's that, you know, the antibodies and the pulling back and like, no, we're not, you know, this is, this is too big to fail. And we're not going to try this new approach with the, the too big to fail thing. And I don't know that there's a great way to anticipate which way an environment's going to respond when you try to introduce change. So I think we've walked into that in a couple of cases and then just had to recognize, okay, this might not be the best spot for us. I think that's been true for teams like 18F and US Digital Service as well at the federal level is, you know, you you want to help um, and you place a bet in certain areas. And sometimes it's, you know, our fault or the digital service fault, like we might set something up incorrectly. We might have a rough introduction. The first attempt to do something a different way might, you know, backfire or, or not work. But for whatever reason, it's not it's not going to land. And I think it's useful to recognize those moments and, and you know, maybe in a year or two, pick it up in, in a different way with a different team. So I try not to get discouraged by, by those kind of setbacks. Yeah, finding change agents in government to partner with can be really difficult because what the way I've always viewed it, Matthew, is it's almost like a Venn diagram that they have to mm -hmm. be kind of sick of, kind of tired of the past outcomes. They have to understand that the old ways weren't working. They have to be aware of new ways, probably heard and read a few things about lean, agile, cloud things that could improve it, DevOps, et cetera. But then that, that third one, which is more emotional, I think you were highlighting it about demonstrating healthier team behaviors, but that, that yeah. one is kind of in that realm, that emotional realm. It's the, the courage, the moral courage to try something else, despite all that uncertainty of yeah. having never done it that way before. Um, and it's okay, especially the leader in the organization, acknowledging it's okay for everyone to learn and that it's understood there's going to be some failure involved as they learn yeah. and figure things out. I think the other thing that happens, um, and Waldo Jaquith talks about this a fair bit, where we can talk about these concepts of agile, but I think especially sometimes in a government context that that term in particular can start to mean squirrely things over time of a little less planning and a little bit more just like seat of the pants, you know, we're going to make a different decision here and go this direction. And the reminder that he's had for me at different points is, you know, what we're really trying to accomplish with an agile approach is iterating based on user feedback. So when we drop the human-centered design principles, when we drop getting feedback from users, and when we're really just like making different decisions every three days, we can't defend that as an agile process anymore. Like now we're just going by seat of the pants. And I think some projects, especially when you start getting more and more crunched on time, we start sacrificing certain process rituals or ways of doing things and coming to decisions and creating buy-in and like empowering the team doing the work. And as things get more and more compressed and heated up and timelines get shorter and more executives get escalated to, it's, you know, in, instead of leaning back on those processes and saying, great team, what should we do? We're just like making calls as a state and, and rushing through stuff. So I, I think that transition from we're, we're following good, healthy processes to things break down as stress increases and deadlines approach and funding is expiring and various other constraints kind of imposed on, on teams. I think it's a real like pressure test for the team of, are we leaning into what we know or you know, do we revert back to an old process? That kind of stuff is a real test for the team. And again, I don't, I haven't found a great way of anticipating how a given part of government responds when, when the pressure increases. Yeah, it, it, it can exist at times and not. And 
I've seen that as well, Matthew, just to validate your your observation and experience that some folks can confuse, the way I describe it is folks can confuse agile with chaos. And, and agile is not chaos. It's actually very disciplined. It's a very disciplined approach. What, what you're describing reminds me of some of what I've read about like Steve Jobs, where he, he provided some safety for his product teams to do less better. And that in some spaces in government, and probably even out in corporate America, that can not exist where quality is sacrificed for quantity. Is there anything you've done as a, as a the director of USD or uh, Colorado Digital Service to help build that safety for your teams? Yeah, we ran into this a lot when we first got started. It was very easy for any part of state government to come to our team and be like, hey, help us out with this. And every problem sounds super interesting. So we're like, oh, we'll take a meeting on that and we'll do this. And then you go to the meeting and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a really interesting problem, really hard. But I also have these five ideas that might help. Like, let me just go to a few more meetings. And before you know it, you're doing every project in the state. And each member of the team is going to their own meetings. And we're not even a team anymore at this point. Another mentor of mine, Jennifer Anastasoff, founded the talent team at USDS. And, you know, all she references a lot of organizational change management philosophy around this. But, you know, an organization has to be more than the sum of its parts. Otherwise, why exist? Um, and at the beginning, we were definitely doing the, okay, we're sending this person into this meeting, you know, and even as we're doing updates to each other, it's like dividing and conquering the meetings of the day. And that's not very effective. So we put in place with our CIO a lot of process around, here's how we want to say yes to certain things and everything else has to go into a backlog. And that's the only way we're going to get work done. And everyone was really respectful of that. Like, as we explained that process to every state agency that we meet with, we still take inbound meetings and, and request for support and then explain, yep, we put everything into the scoping doc. The scoping doc will review with our bosses and get sign off on and make sure it meets the priority. And we're essentially using a Kanban work limit of we can do two things at once. Here's the two current things. If we add a third, one of these has to drop. And that's been super helpful for us to to be able to be a bit tighter on scope. Sounds like you all are doing really well, having a tremendous impact. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Matthew? I think it, just a couple of things for the Colorado team specifically that I think folks should be aware of is Colorado as a state is really taking an aggressive approach to addressing the mental health crisis that is true okay. across the country. The federal government's pouring a lot of funds into every state to help, especially in light of coming out of this pandemic time where folks' mental health and behavioral health really suffered. Colorado ranks nearly last in the country in terms of our support and services for uh, people experiencing behavioral health crises, which is really surprising to hear. I think we have this reputation as a physically fit state, but on, on the mental and behavior health side, we have a lot of struggles to provide access to care and services. So there's a huge effort. That's why we have a whole new agency focused on this. Our digital service team created you know, a spoke team dedicated to uh, behavioral health services. Um, and for folks that are interested in that problem space and helping people out, we have a lot of opportunities. So we've got open roles for a technical lead, engineering manager type role. Uh, we have a role for procurement and contract specialist for folks that are really creative at leveraging funds and creating incentives for the right type of outcomes. Those are the, the main ones right now. We also have opportunities for human-centered designers elsewhere on the team. It's a really great time to get involved in the state right now as all that stuff's getting formed because we're we're really setting culture for how these teams operate. We're setting these you know product and portfolio roadmaps to address really complicated system societal level challenges around how people get access to the care that they need. And for folks that care about like the technical and data side, 
healthcare and everything that powers those systems and gives data to private providers and gets shared with the state, shared with the federal government is this incredibly complex uh, space to sink your teeth into. And we need really savvy people to navigate that and figure out how we're actually delivering on outcomes. So anyway, that would be my final pitch is I think there's a lot of interesting work happening in the state. I think our team's a great spot to land and figure out if you're, if you've ever been curious in public sector impact or working on things that impact your neighbors and, and your community, this set of problems I think is pretty ubiquitous and challenging and we have an opportunity to make a difference on it, which is really exciting. So we'd very much encourage encourage folks to look us up and, and look up those openings. Matthew, thank you for that. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity to create an impact and make a difference for probably not just the, the state of Colorado, I'm sure the, the lessons learned role elsewhere too. So that's just wonderful. Matthew, thank you so much for your time today. Sure, appreciate it. And thanks for everyone for listening in. If anyone's interested in uh, being on the podcast, just reach out to me, Brian Fox. It's brian.fox at omnifederal.com. I would love to have you on. Otherwise, Matthew, thank you again for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank, yeah, thank you so much, Brian. It was great to be on. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Doing Tech Better in Government. Don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to be a part of a future podcast, as we'd love to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. See you next time doing Tech Better in Government.